1: Welcome to the When to Jump podcast. I'm not the host, but I'm the host mother, Betsy Lewis, and I'm here for a unique interview today, the same day of the release of Mike's book. I'm going to interview Mike and share a bit of the -the behind-the-scenes perspective on the jump behind the jumper himself. So here we are, Mike, live in our living room. (laughs) It's a pleasure to sit down and turn the tables a bit and ask you to answer a few questions. I tell many of my friends who know about your mission and how it evolved when you were a junior in college. Your jump did not come as such a surprise to me
0: or to Dad. To me, it started with being the youngest of six kids and, and then moving three times. It, um, I think it... So You don't like the earth?
1: That is part of my next question, oh, so sorry. you okay. already are taking right. the juice so, out of it. Okay, <laughs> it, go on. Oh.
0: Um, well, I, I honestly think that for me, it came from, from squash. As you remember, I got into that sport very mm-hmm. much on a whim. Mm-hmm. There was only one club within a hundred miles. We were down there today, the Santa Barbara athletic club. Correct. And I think that it was that tournament we had. If you remember that was a pro tournament and the young player, Sean Delier from Canada was in town and I signed our family up to host him. And I think I wouldn't say there's, you know, a movement that was born out of that or, or anything like that. But certainly the seed was planted by, by speaking to him at our dinner table. Do you remember? And, yes, I do. And he was talking about how that was a life adventure worth having. And I right. think, you know, that's where it all started was, was that type of event that would foreshadow, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years later returning to that memory and wondering when to chase it. So was it the romance of the travel or was it the passion for the sport? I think it was a little bit of both. He certainly blew my mind in terms of what was possible and where you could go. You know, I had never traveled outside the United States. Uh, stories of mountains in Brazil or towns along the Pacific or cities in Europe, you know, that just seems it was certainly romantic. But I think the other thing was that I knew it would be an adventure because I was only one of a few kids playing. And so for me that was that was part of the fun was okay, if I want to be like this guy, I don't have a lot of other players around me Mm -hmm. or even on the West Coast. How am I going to make that happen? And I think so is part the love of the sport, part the romance, and part, I think, the the sense of adventure.
1: So actually growing up in California, which might have been a detriment in terms of uh, progressing in squash and having players, actually turned out to be a positive because it got you to think creatively about how you were going to... um, overcome the obstacles of not having um, the players to play with and the competition to improve but you were able to surmount that which in itself was an achievement.
0: I don't know if that's a question mom I think that's a, a proud mother statement but I think yeah in some ways I think if we you know we obviously you and dad are from New York had the family stayed in New York and not moved a few times mm-hmm. and I was Surrounded by kids my age playing squash, I think it wouldn't be as interesting to me. I think it was interesting because it was so random that it, it made for an adventure. Like I said, it made for something that would make me unique and stand out by, by pursuing something different. And I think that's what caught my eye, which was really a benefit of living thousands of miles, thousands of miles from most other players.
1: Exactly. No, I see that. Okay, so I'm also wondering. Have you benefited or do you feel like you did from being the youngest of six children and do you think your birth order perhaps played a role in your life and career choices so far?
0: It's a great question. I'd love to hear what you think, but my belief is absolutely as I was saying, you know, earlier when we were talking about this, being the last of six, you get to see a lot. You get to see decisions that were made, maybe regrets that were, you know, that were formed uh, missed opportunities, captured opportunities, dreams and hopes, uh, careers, like I said, that have been attempted in different ways. You just learn a lot. And you also see people live their life. And so by mm-hmm. the time I was going off to you know, junior high and then high school and then college, I think it made me realize what things to try to do more of. And learning from experience of others also helped me you know, learn what to maybe do less of.
1: Well, I'm glad you feel that way. A lot of people, when they hear about a big family like ours, they wonder if some of the kids get lost in the shuffle.
0: Do you think that it's uh, something you always intended to have, six kids? Was that part of the plan?
1: Well, that's another story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes well, and no. <laughs> yes and <laughs>
1: no. Always wanted them, never thought I would have as many, but that's the way life worked out. It worked out wonderfully as far as I'm concerned. I loved, I loved having children, and I love our big family. So it, it all worked out well.
0: Do you think that the other kids had an influence on me?
1: Probably subliminally, if not, you know, in actual ways. I mean, they all, a lot of different personalities. And I think that, you know, by osmosis, you live in a house with all those kids and you pick up here and there. And, um, but I think you're always very much your own person. And being the youngest, you certainly, you know, a lot of the stuff rubbed off for sure from the others. But you were always a an extremely curious and positive person. I can remember you wore a t-shirt for years and years that we just kept um, recycling at home in the laundry, and it had the smiley face, which is now emoji, but was then just a smiley face, yellow face with black eyes, nose, and mouth, or eyes and mouth.
0: You know what's amazing is you just brought that up now, but this is a very much unscripted conversation, and we never talked about that. I don't think you've even mentioned that shirt since I wore it last, which was probably 20 years ago, but I remember it. and i go back to the the point you made about moving and having a big family but i really believe that you and dad raised the family to just go out and live life and soak it up and and get every ounce of it and if you don't if you're listening you don't know my mother which i'm sure many of you don't you know my mom's the person that'll reach out to someone who uh, you know is wearing a a shirt where, you know, she saw that shirt once and wants to chat with them about it. Or if someone um, needs help opening a door at a grocery store or for hiking, you're always up for talking to people and meeting new people and having experiences. And I think that just kind of came through to me of, of, of having that zest for life. And I know dad's favorite quote since I was very little was carpe diem, you know, and seize the day. And I see it really in how you guys live, you know, and moving the family when we didn't have to leave New York to move down to Tennessee on a whim and dad taking his own big jump and then taking another big jump to move out to California. You know, I think that breeds a certain sense of resilience and not just resilience, but curiosity and, and love for life. Uh, I've mentioned this before on the show, this quote, the Yiddish proverb, to a worm and horseradish, the whole world is horseradish. And then when you get out of the horseradish, you see, wow, there's such a big... World out here. I want to do everything, and I think that came from moving and getting out of the horseradish and, and wanting more out of life each day.
1: Well, that's kind of the direction I was going because I was thinking to ask you about: does, do you think the fact that you were born in New York City and then moved as a preschooler to Nashville, and then as a middle schooler to Santa Barbara, been beneficial to you? Did the geographical jumping in your upbringing help in your career jumping years later? Because after all, with all the moves in the U.S., each state had its own distinctive language. And um, you learned to speak them all very well.
0: <laughs> I remember, remember when we were moving to Nashville, and Emma asked you, my sister Emma asked you on the plane, will we have to learn a new language?
1: Yes, exactly. I do remember that, and we did. It was truly another world. And all of you, all six of you adapted uh, really well to a very drastic change from the Upper East Side of Manhattan to Nashville, Tennessee, which was not the Nashville it is today. It was um, much more of a primitive southern city in many ways, and um, you all just adjusted really well. And I think looking back on it, maybe for a couple of the kids, it wasn't the best experience at that time. But looking back, I think you all came away with very positive memories.
0: They certainly were beneficial to all of us just at different times and in different ways. It certainly wasn't always easy, but I remember this idea of reinvention. And I remember a podcast episode recently with the CEO of ServiceNow, John Donahoe. He calls it repotting, to quote someone he looked up to, this gentleman, Ernie Arbuckle. But it's all about taking root somewhere, putting down a foundation, and then mixing it up You know, some years later. I think John would tell you that it's every 10 years or something like that. But we almost indirectly did that as a family. You know, Mm -hmm. we we left roots that were comfortable in New York. We replanted in Nashville. Mm -hmm. We got familiar with that. I still remember going to, you know, school and making new friends. And then we had to do it again. And I don't know if that's what you and dad intended by moving, but it certainly created this repotting or really reinvention. And I think it also just made you feel comfort with the uncomfort. And when feeling familiar with the unfamiliar and being able to say, okay, this is new, but I've been here before. I've been maybe not to this place because mm-hmm. we you know, never really had spent a whole lot of time in California before we moved. But because we had done other jumps as a family, mm-hmm. I was ready to take that on. And I think that ultimately led me to want to go play pro squash and travel around the way I did.
1: Well, I bet it did because you were not living in um, on one block in the same house. And um, it certainly, there's something to be said for being able to not just reinvent yourself, but to to make an actual move and having to go through the trials, and they are trials of meeting new people, going to new schools, um, having to adjust to all of those things that a move implies. And you were all not little. You were um, ranging in age from teenagers down to to you, and you were the youngest, I think, at five when you came to Nashville. So it wasn't easy um, for sure, but the benefits um, have really proven to be... Uh, very valuable for all of you, and I think as adults, all of you children will feel will agree that you feel much more comfortable when you can feel you can take yourself up out of a, something that is familiar and comfortable and put yourself into some place that maybe isn 't and then make it work. You feel empowered with that, and uh, maybe that is what got you. Also, to have the ability to be positive about making moves, making changes, and eventually making a jump. Uh, The other thing I wanted to bring up is that you are a young uncle to eight of your siblings' children, my grandchildren, ranging in age from six months to 12 years. Can you offer any long term advice as much as you can this far out for them and for their goals and their dreams? and their expectations for their future?
0: Oh, geez. Uh, it's kind of weird to be in that spot because usually it's as the youngest, I feel like I'm always asking my siblings right. for right. advice, and now here we are. Well, it's funny. You know, Becca's husband, Tim, was on the podcast, Tim Haidt, a few weeks ago, and it just made me very proud because here was someone who is living his life in a way that their six-month-year-old baby boy, Will, will be so proud of when they, he grows up and hears the, his story. And I think that goes back to what jumping is, which is there's a difference between crazy and stupid. You know, that's what, uh, in the book that's, that's, that's mm-hmm. out today, that's that's the memo, that's the manifesto, that it's not crazy to do what you love, but it is going to take sacrifice, it is going to be hard, it is going to be 10,000 or more unsexy steps. And I think in that conversation with Tim and and with my other siblings, you know, that's what I would take away and tell their kids, which is that... You should go chase your dreams. You should do what you love in life. But you should know that it's going to be hard. You should know that it's going to take a lot of time. You should know that it's going to be filled with tons of setbacks and real failures. And it might not be obvious it's worth doing after one week or one month, but over the course of a lifetime, it is going to lead to a richer life. And I think that's what you know. your mom, grandma, taught me, which is it's good to have rich, full... Uh, passionate dreams, and it's important to have that discipline, that grit to go track them down. So I think that would be the advice I'd give the, the kids, and I think it'll be fun. I mean, selfishly, it's just cool to be able to do this with you, because we can share it for generations forward of of what really matters, and I think it's obviously being tight and close-knit and staying close to your nieces and nephews and cousins and aunts and uncles and parents, of course, but it's also never losing that sense of of having dreams and, and daring to chase them.
1: If you had to zero in, and I guess it's hard to do that, on one aspect of your childhood and young adulthood that contributed to who you are, I know we've passed through some of them, you've mentioned a couple, but why you're here leading this when to jump community. If there's one thing that really was sort of the, the the centrics, the thing that really encapsulated everything,
0: what would it be? Well, I think someone we haven't talked about is dad. You know, dad has been such good a good point. <laughs> <laughs> remember him? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think something that stands out is that dad had such an amazing way of teaching and leading by example and he did that in a lot of ways in his support of me playing squash you know mm-hmm. he found he found a way to take me to the right tournaments to help get me to the right players he was so supportive not just obviously in 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 the the resources but but the effort and then really the attitude and i think my fondest memories from childhood and growing up would be going on tournament trips with dad and you have to remember it was long three, four day weekend trips a couple times a year to the east coast, missing school, missing work, you know, getting a flight, all of that stuff, missed connections, delayed, rescheduled, baggage claim, all of that, taxis, airport shuttles, and then I would end up losing. I would end up losing really quickly most of the time. Mm-hmm. I think I probably won only you know, for every ten matches I probably won one or two. All right. And that was for years. And when I look back now it's like wow I I got I got to do everything in the sport that captured my imagination. I got to play in competitive junior tournaments. I got to play in college and be the captain of a team. I got to compete on the world tour and reach my goal and then surpass it of 200 in the world. I got to almost 100 in the world. I got to try out for the national team. All this stuff that on paper seems great and like a no-brainer. And yet, before all of that, were these aimless losing trips mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that were long and tough and tiring and and a, a sink of energy and time with Dad.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, but, in all fairness, there were times you wanted to quit the game, game because it was hard, you know, to be. It was an uphill battle to achieve a level of excellence that kind of made it worth doing all those trips. And there were times of reflection where you thought, You know, is this really what I should be doing with my time and asking dad to make sacrifices to take me um, cross country on a regular basis to to be involved in these tournaments? And um, but you got over that hump and both you and dad, you know, triumphed for sure.
0: Yeah. So I think that's that's what I hold deep in my heart is that if it wasn't for dad's attitude of Trusting in that process and taking a jump that is going to be meaningful to you, even if it doesn't result overnight in a, in a win, literally a win. I mean, there were tournaments. I remember going. Do you remember the tournament against um, our family friend who, you know, beat me and while he was beating me up in the in the court in between games, I got locked in the stairwell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and it was humiliating. And then I got out of the stairwell and then I lost really quickly. Yeah, and yet, you know that was still worth doing because it was part of the process. And so my fondest memories were would be that, would be those trips with dad. Mm-hmm. And just pushing on because it was, it's so cliche to say that, but sports in that sense is such a metaphor and analogy for life. You know, there was something to be gained. I mean, squash ultimately would change my entire life course mm-hmm. and allow me to have these experiences that would lead me to this passion and all these other things, and it continues to provide today. But as you said, there were so many days where I wanted to quit mm-hmm. and felt like it was a hopeless endeavor, and it was Dad just encouraging me to stick with it that I think I, I look back on and credit, not just my you know life course since then, but but the start of, of this when to jump project, which in many ways is the same message. you know, go do what you love, but it's going to be hard, and it might take some time.
1: Well, th- thank you so much, Mike. We're, we're all literally jumping with joy. That you've brought us the last 29 years, regardless of the book, you have been a joy to us, to Dad and I,
0: and our whole family.
1: And we can't wait to see what comes next.
0: Well, thanks, Mom, but I'm not going to let you go just yet, because it is (laughs) me, the interviewer, in some of these cases, uh, or in all these cases so far. And I would love to know a few things, because we've never actually talked about it, and I get asked this all the time, which is, you know, when I... When I came to you thinking about going to play pro squash, I get to ask this all the time. What what did your parents think? What do your parents think? Could you just tell me what you were thinking when I was at Bain Capital, starting my life, going down this yellow brick road, and you hear these ideas of me leaving it to go play pro squash? What were you thinking?
1: Well, I think after the initial shock, although really and honestly it wasn't shock because you had kind of thrown that idea around for quite a while in different ways, uh, I thought, well why not? You know, you weren't you aren't married, you didn't have a family, you didn't have to pay a mortgage. And life is short and you only get to to go around once and I think I appreciate that more now that I'm older. I mean, you just think it's forever, but it's not. It's time limited. And um, honestly we had confidence, Dad and I, that this wasn't a way to shirk responsibility or work or a way to get out of the office and have fun. Uh, It was a dream that you wanted to realize that took a lot of perseverance and a lot of struggle and um, determination to improve your game, first of all. And then, you know, to to travel like that, it sounds like fun and it sounds like an adventure, which it was. But uh, you paid a price for that, for sure. And you had the confidence to say, I'm in my 20s. I this is a dream I have and this is now the time I'm going to do it. And you, you took the idea and you went with it, um, rather than, um, some people I remember along the way said, well, why don't you finance, you know, work the next few years, maybe decade, get in a secure position. And then when you have all that foundation, um, of security behind you, then go off. But, I admire that you, you thought, no, I want to do it now, and this is the time, and again, that voice spoke to you, and you did it. So while, yeah, I mean, it would have been a comfortable thing for me to have heard after you started at Bain and succeeded so well there that this was something you were going to, you know, stay with for a while. That I can't say I would have been disappointed in that choice, but knowing you and knowing the kind of Boy, young man, adult that you are, it would have it, it. It really would have never been our place to tell you not to go. Nor would you have listened. And frankly, this isn't like you were. Cra- you were, as a, as your friend said, it's it's crazy, but not stupid. And it wasn't stupid. So let it go. You know. I mean, this is this is really what how we felt. We felt like really good about it. And I think dad, especially with his love of the game, I played squash for a bit. I was never any good, but dad played and he loved the game and the thought of you improving your game and doing something you loved in a sport that he appreciated as much as you did. Why not?
0: Were you surprised by how it all went from there?
1: Um, No, I, I, I think you remember that my prediction, and I was wrong, you're a very sociable person you're a person who enjoys people and interaction and you're a little bit of a i don't want to say home buddy but you like the nuclear family you like being with people you know so i in my own mind thought this was going to be a much shorter journey i really did i thought 6 months you'd be saying this was great i'm coming back um and i was proven wrong you you were there quite a bit longer but again, it was a worthwhile journey and I don't feel, I feel like you entered it at the right time and you exited it at the right time. Did I think that a book and a community was going to come from the squash experience and from jumping from Bane to something entirely different? No, I don't think I knew. Did you know?
0: No, I think my wildest dreams, I wanted to help. Other people feel less alone in taking risks, but I didn't think that would be what I'd be doing after squash. You know? Right,
1: right. I, I had no idea that um, When to Jump would become a book that is coming out today that globally um, and translated in different languages and at airports in Europe. And no, I did not. And uh, obviously, we're super proud of you. But again, you surprised us in positive ways from the day you were born. And we love you. Thanks, Mom. Um,
0: Just to end on, you've read the book. It's out today. Can you give your honest review? I know that there's a lot of official reviews. We'll hear from a lot of different places and this and that and the other thing. Um, But but honestly, what could someone expect from reading it? Well, a good read. Um, I am a big reader.
1: And uh, not that that means that I'm an expert by any means. But... The book is extremely well-written, which shouldn't come as a surprise to me, but you weren't an English major, and um, and yet you've written a, a really easy-to-read, easy-to-get-engaged-in to book. And the people who have shared their stories have equally engaging stories to tell. And what I like best is it's a book you can pick up, put on your nightstand, And read a story or two before you go to bed or whenever, and they captivate you. They truly do. They stay with you. Um, They're dramatic in each and every one of them in their own way. And to me, it's a book that will stand the test of time. This book is not just for the moment. This book is for forever in the sense that people will always be jumping, and there will be stories to tell and maybe because i'm a big reader of memoirs that's the genre that i like the best is nonfiction this book particularly appealed to me because i just feel like i knew so many of your of your storytellers by the end of the book they became very real to me and their story stayed with me and i loved that so i think the book is going to be Again, I'm your mother, but usually successful because of what I just said. I think it's a book that has a broad appeal and will continue to have that appeal for uh, the millennials, for uh, college students, for uh, AARP, for, for all people. Um, I think there's truly something to be found in this book. So on that note, I just, uh, fingers crossed, wishing a great uh, debut, christening, whatever, um, today. And um, we are all, again, couldn't be happier no matter what happens. This is a phenomenal achievement, and you should be very proud of yourself.
0: Well, thanks, Mom. And there you have probably the most biased review from the, the most supportive person in my corner you could ask for, but uh, I appreciate that, and it really does mean a lot to me. I should give credit to um, our producer of the show, one of the producers, Alex Abnos, who thought this would make for a fun uh, episode the day it comes out you know this is in some ways a lifetime in the making but certainly f- five years from sketching the cover page and, and we've gone through so many edits and you've been there with me and dad's been there so it means a lot to me for you to be on the show and to interview me um, and no matter what I know you're proud of the book and, and that's all we can ask for so thank you for interviewing me mom do you want to s- do the send off which is this is the when to jump podcast I'm Betsy Lewis
1: This is the When to Jump podcast, and I am Betsy Lewis. See you next week.
0: That (laughs) Thanks, Mom. I love you. All right, that will do it for the When to Jump podcast. As you know, you can find us at When to Jump across social media. You can find us at our home on our web platform, whentojump.com. We've got an audiobook contest running right now through just the next couple days. If you want to be audiobook famous and have your jump story featured as a bonus story in the audiobook coming out worldwide very soon, send it in, record it, send it in to mcmillan.audio at mcmillanusa.com. Remember, mcmillan is m-a-c-m-i-l-l-a-n.audio at macmillanusa.com. If you've got a jump to share and you want to make it shorter and sweeter, you can record it and send it in to jump at Macmillan.com and we can feature it or consider to feature it on the podcast in a future episode. I can't wait for your thoughts on the book that is out. And if you're going to be in any of the following cities across the U.S., from D.C., Boston, New York, San Francisco, Palo Alto, or in London or Sydney, Dubai, let me know. Go to, when to book booktour, and I hope to see you in person as we canvass the country. Uh, as always, find us at wendajump across social. wendajump.com is our home base. I'm Mike Lewis. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house, it's your home. The place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy.